Welcome to the Podity. I'm Nate. I'm Steven. And this is the show where we talk about all things nerdy, from perfectly git ifs to zefraj. And today we'll be talking about murder on the Orient Express. Allons-y. That's perfect for this show <laughs> specifically. Yeah, I, I, one, honestly speaking, one thing I loved about this was they are very okay. Well, Kenneth Branagh in particular is very okay in poking fun in the, at the character, mm-hmm. which I think is necessary for a character like Poirot. But we'll get a little bit into that later in the episode. Full disclosure here, we are recording this on May the 4th, so happy Star Wars Day, belated. Unfortunately for everybody else, but you know, happy Star Wars Day, everybody. Yeah, may the fourth be with all of you. Yeah, where yeah. my nerds at at. <laughs> but today we're gonna be talking about murder on the Orient Express. Now I'm gonna just dive and give a little a brief history lesson into Murder on the Orient Express, just a very brief one. Then I'm gonna be talking a little bit about the plot and everything. So definitely if you wanna stay if you're not familiar with Murder on the Orient Express, Stay around, stick around. I think even... I'm not going to reveal too much of the plot as well. Just a little bit about what's happening. And with that, I hope you guys... This interests people into watching Murder on the Orient Express. Sounds like a good start, man. I know for you, when I first suggested that I wanted to do Murder on the Orient Express, you weren't the biggest fan of it. Uh, I won't say I'm not the biggest fan of it, but I was surprised. Because okay. I don't think we've really talked about it. I think we've talked about it no, once. Yeah. Like a long time ago. Then out of mm-hmm. the blue, we mentioned, hey, let's do Murder on the, on the Orion Express for this upcoming week and all that. And then yeah. you were telling me as well about like, you must watch it. You must watch it because it's amazing. Yeah. And, and I, and, okay. So yeah. initially, I wanted to do Murder on the Orient Express earlier on okay. because I wanted to review Death on the Nile, which was coming out in theaters. Right. I see. It came yeah. out in theaters like in April. Yeah. But once it came out in April and I missed it, mm-hmm. it I didn't realize that it was coming out on Disney Plus shortly after. Is it on Disney Plus already? Murder, yeah. Death on the Nile is now on Disney Plus as well. Awesome. Okay. And after I watched Death on the Nile, I didn't want to review Death on the Nile. Right. And so I'm going to talk a little bit about that later as well. Okay. But I really still want to talk about Murder on the Orient Express. I see. Okay. Yeah. And I know... You've watched it before, and you yeah. weren't very impressed with it when you first watched it. Yes, I, I wasn't. And, well, I think I know more why I wasn't exp- I wasn't that uh, impressed by it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'll get to that later on. We'll get to that yeah. later, yeah. But the second, I, I kept urging you, watch it again. You will find it's awesome because you won't be... You won't be caught up with this. Like, it's the story. It's not the story that I like about this movie. I mean, of course, the story is pretty good. Yeah. But it's yeah. not the main thing I like about this movie. Yeah, I know what you mean exactly. Yeah. It's a full uh, it's experience. Precisely. Right? And yeah. we'll get into that all the way in the end. But first, I'm just going to kick it off with a little bit of like a small history lesson in Murder on the Orient Express. The Murder on the Orient Express was released in 2017 and is a murder mystery film directed by Kenneth Brenner based on the 1934 novel of the same name. And the story revolves around a lavish trip through Europe and how quickly it unfolds into a race against time to solve a murder aboard the train. When an avalanche stops the Orient Express did in its tracks, the world's greatest detective, Hercule Poirot, not Hercules, arrives to interrogate all the passengers and search for clues before the killer can strike again. And this was actually one of Agatha Christie's best novels, in my opinion. 
It was oh, one of okay. my favorite Agatha Christie novels. I've never what I never read any of her books, mm-hmm. uh, I, but this is educational for me as well. Yeah, and yeah. honestly speaking, I feel like because this story has the influences on this story is very interesting. So the novel was published in 1934, and it's believed that Christie got her Agatha Christie got her inspiration from this novel while riding on the Orient Express itself. And she got caught in a heavy storm causing the train to get stuck. Wow. Yeah. And that's o- pretty much the setting, right? That's just the <laughs> setting, exactly. This entire setting of the the book is because they were on the Urine Express. But also this story was influenced it was believed to be influenced by a real life nineteen thirty two case known as the child is a Charles Lindbergh case regarding the abduction and murder of his son, which was dubbed the crime of the century. Yeah, this okay. was really heavily touted to be the inspiration of the novel itself. Uh, they did keep what was most important in this movie, though, I feel, which was Poirot's obsessive nature, his sense of humor, intelligence, self-confidence, wit, vulnerability, and mustache. Yeah. Or rather, his moustache. Yeah. Yeah, this is the biggest moustache ever seen in all four different adaptations of the novel. There was a film that was came out in 2010. Another film that came out, I think, in nine in sorry no, there was a Agatha Christie's Poirot series came out 2010 that did uh, an episode of Murder on the Orient Express, and I think there was a 1997 movie, and there was like a another TV or like another movie earlier than that as well. Right. Okay. Yeah, it's a lot of it's this story in particular. I believe has the most iterations of it. Right. Okay. Yeah, and it's amazing. Wow, I didn't know it was, there's so many iterations, like, to be yeah, honest. Yeah, and like the Charles Lindbergh case, Charles Lindbergh was a military man, he was an aviator, and he fought in World War II. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and his his son actually was kidnapped and murdered. Uh, he paid the ransoms, very similar to... Wait, wait, World War One or World War Two? Because it was written in 1934. Sorry, no, he was in World War Two. Okay. After the case. After the case. After the case of his son. Oh, was, right. Yeah. So it wasn't resolved. Yeah. No, it was resolved. He, the person was, I think, as well acquitted. I'm not very. I'm not too entirely certain on the facts of the crime of the century. Right, right. But I know the facts were his son was abducted. He paid the ransom. The son was murdered. Okay, yeah. right, yeah. Which I don't think that's giving too much away about the story that I can say it. Yeah. Light spoilers, that's all. I mean, it's more, it's not so much of a spoiler, but rather it's more of a uh, historical um, inspiration. Yeah. So I will say that why I say it's a light spoiler, because I feel that this this movie, its delivery of the mystery leads me to feel that this is not the best murder mystery movie out there. I, I know what you mean. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but I didn't go into the movie looking to try and be a detective and try and solve the mystery of the movie because I am already familiar with the book. Right, okay. So I already know the story. And with that, I would say this movie is much better for a rewatch for somebody who has watched it before or if you already know the plot from the book. Yeah. I think this movie, you will appreciate it a bit better then, which is why I urged you to do a rewatch before we reviewed it. Kind of makes makes sense to me, Yeah. yeah. I would say that the pros of this movie were like the spectacular beauty of the film. 
Like from the colors of the screen, like the color palette was so pleasing, so pretty. Extremely, extremely pretty, yeah. And to the direction from Kenneth Brenner himself. And the performances put on by like a stellar cast, that really bumps the rating of this movie up in my opinion. I think so too. Yeah. Yeah, Camera angles... Yeah, yeah, yeah honestly speaking it's, the direction is so good the photography is so good yeah, yeah. and I really think that upon a rewatch or like knowing the plot of the story you'll be able to pick up on a few more a few acting nuances that provide a deeper meaning to what is happening on the screen oh definitely yeah, yeah. Uh, and we'll get into that a little bit but right before that I'm going to hit you with a spoiler alert this will be about where I'm going to give like maybe a 5-10 to 10 minute brief description of what Murder on the Urine Express is all about so for those of you who are not familiar with the story, like I've said, I would think this film is one of the few... It's Yes, it's a murder mystery, but I feel it's a murder mystery that draws away from the typical murder mystery fun of the genre. And I would rather view this as a pretty film to enjoy rather than basing it off like a murder mystery. So if you want to stick around and listen to a bit of the plot, that is okay as well. But if you really, really don't like things spoiled, and I totally get it, I hate things being spoiled as well, this is the spoiler alert right here, right now. So if you might want to go and watch Murder on the Iron Express, which is currently streaming on Disney+, Plus, come back and then you can join the conversation after that. Yeah. So... In 1934, famous Belgian detective Hercule Poirot solves a theft at the Church of Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem. The obsessive compulsive who seeks balance in life and considers his case-solving ability to see lies and omit truth to be a curse, wants to rest in Istanbul but must return to London for another case. His friend Book, director of the Simplon Route Orient Express service, arranges a bunk for him aboard the train. While on the train, unscrupulous businessman Edward Ratchet offers to hire Poirot as his bodyguard during the three-day journey, having received threatening letters from an unknown party, but Poirot refuses. That night, Poirot hears strange noises coming from Ratchet's compartment and later sees someone in a red kimono running down the hallway. An avalanche then derails the train's engine, stranding the passengers. The next morning, Poirot discovers Ratchet was murdered during the night after having been stabbed a dozen times. Poirot and Book investigate the other passengers as repairs begin. Evidence indicates that Ratchet was murdered by one person, and Caroline Hubbard, a fellow passenger, claims that a man had been in her compartment that night. Poirot discovers a partially burned note connecting Ratchet to the kidnapping of Daisy Armstrong, a child who was abducted from her bedroom and held for ransom. Though the family paid the ransom, Daisy was murdered nonetheless, and Ratchet's true identity is revealed. He was John Cassetti. Daisy's kidnapper and murderer. The shock of her death caused her mother, Sonia, to die and giving premature birth to a stillborn baby. Her father, Colonel John Armstrong, then committed suicide. The family's nursemaid, Suzanne, was wrongly suspected of complicity, leading her to being arrested and her subsequent suicide in police custody, only to be found innocent after. More evidence on the train is found, including a blood-stained handkerchief, and in Mrs. Hubbard's compartment, the button of a conductor's uniform. The uniform is later found, along with a red kimono, in Poirot's own suitcase. Hubbard is then stabbed in the back. She survives, but cannot identify the culprit. 
Poirot discovers many of the passengers have direct connections to the Armstrong family and uncovers their hidden past. While interviewing Governess Mary Debenham, Poirot is shot in the shoulder by Dr. John Arbutnot, who claims responsibility for the murder, but Book stops him from killing Poirot. Poirot realises that Arbutnot, a medical doctor and former army sniper, never meant to kill him. Poirot confronts the suspects outside the train, offering two theories of how Cassetti died. The first is simple, but does not meet all the facts. A murder, disguised as a conductor, boarded the train at the previous stop, murdered Cassetti, and fled at the stop as the train left. The second is more complex. With every single suspect connected to the Armstrongs, Suzanne, or her trial in some way, they all had a motive against Cassetti. Poirot predicts that they are acted together. Hubbub is revealed to be Linda Arden, a former stage actress and aspiring director, and Sonia Armstrong's mother. Hubbub confirms the latter, admitting that she planned the murder and had recruited everyone else to help her. All the other passengers and the conductor, Pierre Michel, who was Suzanne's brother, took turns stabbing Cassetti. Mary wore the kimono and Arbutnot stabbed Hubbard without endangering her life to convince Poirot of a lone killer. Poirot challenges the passengers and Michel to shoot him with a confiscated gun since he is the only one who can expose the plot. Book can lie, but Poirot, obsessed with truth and balance, cannot. Hubbub grabs the gun and tries to kill herself, but it is not loaded. Poirot wanted to see how the suspects would react. With the train back on track, Poirot concludes that justice is impossible in this case as Cassetti deserved death. And for the first time, Poirot would have to live with a lie and imbalance. He presents the lone killer theory to the Yugoslavian police, allowing the others to leave on the train. As he disembarks, a British army messenger asks him to investigate a death on the Nile. Poirot accepts the case. And that is the gist of Murder on the Orient Express. I mean, it's it's just like, such a crazy detective story, right? Like, it is an absurd detective story. Yeah. But those are the best detective stories. Of course. I mean, if it's if it's to the point where the audience don't really know where what's going on, there's a there's a pretty good detective story, I would say. I would say so, but I feel the whole idea of a murder mystery is to keep the audience enthralled yes, in the mystery of and like yeah, yeah. Sus- with the suspects, especially with this, like for them to keep going back and forth between people to try and find out who the real murderer is. Yeah. That would have been the fun of it. Yeah. However, this movie doesn't really do it that well. You know? I know. (laughs) (laughs) But it's so nice to look at though. Yeah, it is very, very nice to look at. I will say I love a lot of things about this movie, personally. Uh, Once again, again, it's like my opinion. That I love a lot of these movies because I know this movie doesn't didn't really get top marks uh, on most movie websites. Yeah, but I liked it a lot. And before I start on what I like, I'm just gonna say my major gripe with why I think this film didn't work the way that most movie sites would have want this film to work, and it is that I wished that they this movie focused a little bit more on the characters the suspects rather than just Poirot. Mm, yeah, I yeah. know what you mean. Yeah, yeah, especially since they are all suspects, they should have provided a way to recall each character a bit better. Instead, they rushed through a lot of it to try and get to the to the meat and potatoes of the film 
the revelation, right? Yeah, the revelation yeah. of the film rather than try and build, work focus on the build towards the climax of the reveal. Right. Okay. Yeah, but but I will say this issue, however, is circumvented by the absolute star-studded ensemble of this cast. They were right. They were really yeah, uh, yeah. They were. This is amazing. an amazing cast. This this actually this cast and this decision to cast these people in these roles really allowed me a lot more ease to associate the characters to their actors rather than the actual characters and their actions. Right, okay. Yeah, because I know and love most of these actors. So it really helped me to like just associate the character to the actor. Right, okay. So I may yeah. not know what, what some characters do. Yeah. Most characters do, but I know the character's face. I don't know their names. <laughs> I know a few. I know Arbutnot. I know Debenham. Yep. Yep. That's about it. I know Ratchet. And because I, those are funny. Yeah. Yeah, I know... I, I don't really recall anybody else. And I just keep thinking whenever they mention Daisy, Daisy really comes to mind first. <laughs> Precisely, yeah. I mean, that's one drawback. But I, I like I've mentioned, this movie wouldn't be anything without its star-studded cast. And I'm just going to go through some of my favorites of the cast. Of course, it is a very big, white, and amazing cast. And I'm just going to go through some of the ones that I really like. Yeah, sure. So let's start off with Hercule Poirot himself, Sir Kenneth Brenner. Yeah, yeah, director of this film. Of course, he is familiar to most people as Gilderoy Lockhart from the Harry Potter series, which I'm sure most people would know him from there. But he was also in Dunkirk. He was also in Tenet. Yes. And he directed Thor. The first one, right? Yeah, the first one, the very first one. Yeah. And he has directed and starred in a lot of Shakespearean stuff in his day. Yeah. Which is, which honestly speaking, is I feel shows more here than in an MCU property. Definitely, I, if I'm not wrong, he's also he has theater background. I think. Oh in yeah, the early of years of his career, a lot of Shakespeare. Yeah. Definitely, he's British. So, well, I think he's yeah, Irish. Oh well, he's from, he's from that area, and they <laughs> always focus on stage there. Yeah, I think his early career, careers is actually more on the theatre side. Definitely. Before moving into the big screens. Yep. Yeah. And I think most actors there of his age definitely do that as well. And definitely they are very familiar with Agatha Christie's book and novels. Oh yeah, of yeah. course. It's intrinsically British. Yeah. <laughs> so moving on from Kenneth, Sir Kenneth Brenner, we have Penelope Cruz as well. Yes. So for Penelope Cruz... I have difficulty pinpointing where I know her from. I just know her from everywhere. I know she was in Gothica with um, Halle Berry. Right, okay. That's about as much as I can remember. What, okay, now you made me question when, when, how did I get, I get to know her. Is it, was she with uh, Johnny Depp in, in one of the Pirates? The fourth one, I think. The fourth installment. I think she was uh, Salazar, the yeah, Salaz- chest of Salazar, or something yeah. like. Or, yeah, I think that I think was I her. knew her from there. Yeah, but I mean, on and I this is gonna come off as quite racist, but I always confuse her for Selma Hayek as well. Oh, I don't know who's that. You don't know who's Selma Hayek? Okay, I, I can't remember. They're yeah. both very beautiful Latin women, <laughs> and when I was a kid. I had difficulty differentiating between people on screen because I, even now in real life, I have difficulty differentiating. And a lot of people say that I said, I say these two people look alike, and a lot of people tell me they don't. I think I remember I sent you a picture of Talison Jeffy, and I asked you if he looks like somebody, and then you disagreed. 
Yeah, I think so. That's quite recent, right? Yeah, yeah. and I always, I always have this problem that I, <laughs> I see similarities in people's faces that a lot of people don't really see. It's a me problem. Right. Okay, okay I'm not the best person to ask for this thing because... I just cannot recognize people. Yeah. So, <laughs> which I think is why I kind of like confuse Penelope right. Cruz and Selma yeah. Hayek. But Penelope Cruz is a very talented actress. Yeah. I know for sure she's in Gothica though. For sure. That's the one I know. So we'll move on to Willem Dafoe. Okay. Yeah. We kind of know. Everybody knows Willem Dafoe. I mean, He's, he has that laughter. Yeah. He, obviously, most people would yeah. like... Most nerds like us will know him from Green Gob as Green Goblin from Spider Man. Exactly, yeah. But he has also had a big history in Shakespeare type stuff, the stage stuff. He is a very dramatic actor, and it shows. Yeah, yeah, and he is an amazing actor. Yeah, amazing, yeah. And you can see his range in this, in this movie as well. He yeah. played the Austrian <laughs> when, and he played the American. Yeah, I mean, he he's an actor who's playing an actor. Yeah, <laughs> I love it when that happens. And Willem Dafoe is such an amazing actor as well. That's right. And his face, man, it's so... And his voice, oh my goodness. Like, I would like go back and listen to our Spider-Man No Way Home episode where I talked about... I just fanboyed over Willem Dafoe for like a good five minutes. Yeah. I'm a big fan of Willem Dafoe. Moving on, we also have Dame Judi Dench, who is... I know her as M from most of the James Bond movies. Right, okay, yeah. Probably like six or seven different James Bond movies. I think she's been M for like three, iter- at least three iterations of James Bond. Right, I okay. I think at least three j- iterations of James Bond. Definitely at least two, which is Daniel Craig and Pierce Brosnan. Right, okay. For sure, but I think maybe three. And also, I loved her in Best Exotic Marigold Hotel. Right, yes. Yeah, she's such yeah. a fantastic actress, man. Yeah. Dame Judi Dench is amazing. She's the one... Oh, right. yeah. She also has a big history in Shakespeare stuff because British. Yes, that's right. <laughs> and uh, we move on to Johnny Depp. I think everybody at this time of the year... At this point in time, yes. I'm pretty sure everybody oh, is familiar with Johnny Depp. Yeah, I'll be surprised you don't know who Johnny Depp is. Yeah, he is all, in the new, all up in the news right now. But besides <laughs> that... Of course, Johnny Depp is Captain Jack Sparrow. Captain Jack Sparrow. Exactly, yeah. From Pirates of the Caribbean. He's Edward Scissorhand. From Edward Scissorhand. Yes. And Sweeney Todd. Sweeney Todd, my, yeah. From um, Sweeney Todd. Mr. Mr. Todd, man. Oh my goodness, I love him. Go listen to our Sweeney Todd episode and you see how much I love Johnny Depp. Yeah, I mean, he's always been an amazing actor. He's Actually, he's the actor kind of like broke out the same time as when we were starting to get into TV shows and movies, right? Well, no. His breakout role was Edward Scissorhand and that came out in 1989. That's in 1989? That was his breakout role, Edward Scissorhand. Right, okay. Yes. But he got into Hollywood stardom fame yeah. with Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah, that's what I meant, I guess. Yeah. yeah. So that was... He was already kind of famous for that before that. But he was always famous for doing stuff like Sleepy Hollow, which was a very... It's a very niche, very cult-following right. yeah. kind of yeah. market, which I loved. I have Sleepy Hollow on DVD somewhere. Right, okay. In my house, somewhere. Because I love Sleepy Hollow, the story, and I love Johnny Depp. Right, okay. Yeah, yeah I got to know him as Captain Jack Sparrow and I was mesmerized by his performance yeah, as dude, I mean, Captain Jack Sparrow, right? I, I mean, you and I were friends. We've been friends for a very long time. True. And we used to play the, pirates, the theme of Pirates of the Caribbean yeah. when we were in school. Yep. 
where we were in band together. Yeah. And then we didn't talk for a very long time. Yeah. Because you were an, an asshole. No, I'm kidding. We just, <laughs> we just didn't talk for a very long time. I thought that was you. No, yeah. just, <laughs> no, no, no. no. We knew I was an asshole. The <laughs> <Right>. news <laughs> was that you were an asshole. But when we when we met up again, I always... Do you remember there was this period of time when I was playing in your D&D campaign and I kept quoting pirates? Yes, I remember. Yeah. <laughs> and a few people picked up on it. Yep. I kept quoting pirates as much as I could. I just, I love Johnny Depp so much. Yeah. Yeah, he's such a fantastic and talented actor. But speaking of fantastic and talented actors, we also have Josh Gad from Frozen. Yes. Olaf. And yeah. He's such a, honestly speaking, like, if you are a fan of Josh Gad, go look up his COVID reunion show. With on YouTube, Lord of the Rings. No, he has more than Lord of the Rings, man. He oh, has he a whole series. Oh, of he has them a series. With, yeah, with, with right, more okay. than just Lord of the Rings. He has like I think Karate Kid was one of them. He, okay, yeah, I didn't know that. It's 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 what got me through. It was what kept me sane during COVID, during lockdown. So yeah, if go check it out. He was also in the Book of Mormon. Oh, he was musical. the original Elder Price. No, sorry, Elder Cunningham. He was the original Elder Cunningham, which of course not many people will know, but musicals. So he was also in Beauty and the Beast. As Gaston. Gaston. Ah, oh, right, yeah. Yeah. So his voice is amazing. Uh, I also want to shout out his Pixels performance. I didn't watch Pixels. Oh, Pixels is really cute though. You might okay. watch, you might enjoy. It. I think it's on Netflix. You can catch it. Yeah. So moving on to Jarek Jacoby. He is a prominent stage actor. He was also in Tolkien. It starred Nicholas Holt as J.R.R. Tolkien. Um, but I think you would know, recognize him. Do you know who I'm talking about? I'm trying to put a face to... He's the old man. The driver of... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you, remember, do you remember who he was? So, I'll tell you. He was in Doctor Who as Professor as Yana. master. Yeah. Yep. As Professor Yana and the Master. Yeah, no wonder he looks so familiar now. Yep. <laughs> I love him, man. He's such a good actor. Yeah. I mean, he's a stage amazing. actor as well, so yeah. all the talent is right there. Speaking about talented stage actors, we have Leslie Odom Jr. Who's that, huh? Yeah, I know, I know. Aaron Burr, <laughs> sir. Yes. yes, I know. Aaron Burr his... from, from, from Hamilton. And did you know that he's going to be in Knives Out too? Oh, really? Yeah. I'm so glad he has... More, more roles from him, you know? Yeah, so if you're a fan of Knives Out and Knives Out 2, stick around. We're definitely going to be reviewing Knives Out 2 when it comes out because we're also reviewing Knives Out somewhere down the line in a couple weeks' time. Yes. I, I forget. It's in my head, but it's, I don't know where. But we're going to be talking about Knives Out soon. Amazing show. Yeah. I really like it. So let's move on to Michelle Pfeiffer, talented actress everywhere as well. But I know her from Batman Returns as Catwoman. Right, yeah, okay. Know her from Hairspray. Hashbury. Yeah. She was the mother of um, Britney Snow. Right. Okay. Uh, I also know her from Stardust. Right. Okay. And Dark Shadows and Ant-Man. Dark Shadows and Ant-Man. Yeah. She's uh, Hope's mom. Ah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of property. She's an amazing actress. We have Daisy Ridley, Star Wars. Yes. Obviously. No, no further... No, nothing else further needs to be The whole world knows who Daisy Ridley is. Don't yeah. Worry. yeah. We also have Olivia Coleman, which mm-hmm. is, whew, what a talented actress, man. And just that scene with her and Poirot speaking German, just, just 
It's just Kenneth Branagh and Olivia Coleman showing off that they know German. I, f- <laughs> I fucking love it so much, man. But yeah, Olivia Coleman famous for Hot Fuzz, for Broadchurch, for The Crown. The Crown was really yeah. what made her famous. But I, I've been, I've been a fan of her for the longest time. Oh yeah, I'm just trying to recall which role she played in Broadchurch, because <laughs> I she was the the what's her name the D the DS the detective the detective sergeant. Ah, uh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. And then finally, uh, the last person I want to mention is Lucy Boynton. She had a s- small, tiny role in Murder on Urine Express. She said like maybe two or three lines maximum. Do you know who I'm talking about, Lucy Boynton? I can't. I can't put her face. Uh, she was the the Duke's wife. Oh, she has uh, two lines. She has two or three lines. Yeah. Two or three lines. Yeah. But you know why I'm mentioning her? Yes, yeah, she has a quite big role. I can't yeah. remember. She's Mary in Bohemian Rhapsody. Right, okay. Yeah. And she's Rami Malek's real-life girlfriend slash fiancé, I think. Oh, yeah. okay. <laughs> yeah, so that's why I want to mention her as well. She is, honestly speaking, I feel she should have done a bit more in this movie. <laughs> she could have. <laughs> she, she hasn't has... had a breakout role, breakout role with Bohemian Rhapsody yet. No. No, but, but the thing is, I think all the cast... Was it hit... Bohemian Rhapsody in 2016? No, that's 2018. Oh, 2018. Okay, yeah. my bad. I, I know it was... It's after. I know it was yeah. one after the other. I can't remember which one came before. Yeah, it's after. Yeah. So yeah, the cast is ridiculously spectacular. They are, yeah. Do you have a favourite cast member? I would say... Okay, the first person that really come to mind is Daisy Ridley. Okay. Because I This am was the height of her Star Wars fame. It is. I don't like the character... I don't really like the character... Um, Mary Debenham? No, no, no. What Daisy Ridley's character in Star Wars? Ray. Ray, yes. Right. <laughs> I don't really like Ray, but while I was watching her performance as Ray, I always thought I think this actress is really good. Yeah, has a bigger potential yeah. than a what higher this limit. A higher limit than this character can provide. Exactly, yeah. and and I am so glad when I was watching this, and especially watching it again now after the whole Star Wars saga is over. Right? I mean, not okay, not over. Isn't it's over? Little, no, the it's, over. <laughs> it's over. It's over. Okay. Le- I don't need over because there's still all the other worlds that's being yeah, built that's by true. yeah other people yeah but any non Skywalker drama the non Skywalker drama which is amazing yeah yeah and I mean, her performance in this show kind of amazing yeah like, yeah it's really good honestly speaking and this was really during the height of the Star Wars fame and I remember watching this movie going in and I I saw when this was coming out I had just found out about. Leslie Odom Jr. Right, okay, yeah. I had just found out about Daisy really the year before. Right, yeah. And I w- my mind was blown that this is the cast that they landed on, that they managed to catch, which is amazing. Of course, my favorite cast member is, member is Leslie Odom Jr. Right. <laughs> Hands up. <laughs> I mean, Aaron Burr. So. Yeah. I mean, if they had put Helena Bonham Carter in it, then <laughs> that was a different case. But, <laughs> but no, sadly she's not. But still, Olivia Coleman is a really amazing actress. Yeah. That scene where they were just spoke, speaking, speaking German, Paro and uh, the, the, yes. the yeah. governess or yeah. the, the handmaiden. <sighs> amazing. Like I said, I'm sorry guys, I don't remember any of the characters' names. <laughs> except for Mary Debenham, Arbutnot, and Paro. Right, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and Duke Adrenyi. I think that's it. Yeah, yes. that's about it. But yeah, the cast is so damn good, man. And really, it's it's mind blowing. Oh, the one that surprised me was uh, book, book. Yes, Tom Bateman. He's. N- I don't see a lot of shows under his name. Yeah. Well, okay. Here's the thing. He was a stage actor. 
Right, okay. Then he was in a few things with... I think this was the one... He was in this movie with Kenneth Brenner. Yeah. Kenneth Brenner liked him so much that he pulled him into his production company. Okay. So now whatever Kenneth Brenner produces, he's going to be in it. Yeah. You, you know, know how you know how like each director has their guys, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like JJ yeah. Abrams always has that uh what's his name from Heroes, the big guy from Heroes is always in every single of his stuff. Right. Like he right. was in yeah. Cloverfield. Yeah. He was in Star Wars, everything. Everything that JJ Abrams does, he's always in it. Right. And okay. I guess t- t- Tom Bateman is now a Kenneth Brenner guy. Right, okay. Cuz I think he's a very talented actor as he well. He's really good. But I was just perfectly. very... Uh, yeah, exactly. His acting is good. It was yeah. exciting. His character was fun. His character was fun. He, is, he seems very fun as well. Yeah. And then I looked up his wiki and I realized, hey, why is, he's not, he's he's not, not in, much in, anywhere. Yeah. yeah. So here's the thing about his character book though. There is a slight difference from him in the book and the movie. Oh. So there are just a few slight differences. I'm going to point out some of the major ones. Book is actually an older guy in... Okay the book, the novel version of Murder on the Orient Express, but they adjusted Book, de-aged him in particular, and made him a bit more of a charismatic and flamboyant womanizer kind of character. To make him Working fit, for his father? Yeah, uncle. Uncle, right. Yeah. To make him fit more on screen better. Yeah. And they also adjusted a few of the other characters to allow a more racially diverse cast to be put on screen. Okay. Which yeah. was amazing. And they yeah. played a little bit into that racial digress a little bit okay, in the yeah. film, which was amazing. For example, Arbutnot was initially supposed to actually two characters, which they fused into one character for the screen. Oh, really? Yeah. So it's quite cool. Okay. Another major difference was actually Poirot. He has a romance uh, story in this movie. Okay. With? With that lady in his picture. Oh, she's not supposed to be dead. Uh no, that's his. That's like there was never a romance for Poirot in the novel. Oh, there was never oh, a mention mean, oh, about okay, it. Right, okay. So that he has like a romantic interest yeah. in the lady in the yeah. in the frame. If you you haven't watched Death on the Nile, have you? No, I haven't. They go a bit into it in Death on the right, Nile. Right. Okay. But yeah, I didn't like Death on the Nile. Like spoilers, I didn't like it. But yeah, <laughs> so he has that romantic interest, and also he has a connection to the Cassetti case, the Armstrong case. Oh, wherein, so he's involved as well. Wherein, if you remember in the movie, he said he mentioned he got a letter from Colonel John Armstrong asking him to take up the case. Yep. But he was too late and the kid was killed. Yep. So he has a connection to the case in the movie. Originally, he did not. Right, he okay. He's just the world's best detective and he happens. Because that is a bit too much coincidence, you know? Yeah, yeah. I and, mean, and maybe. The, and the fact that he got on the train on accident. It's a coincidence. It's a coincidence as well. Yeah. As well. So yeah. you don't want to, you know, put a hat on a hat. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, Agatha Christie did the right thing. Kenneth Branagh tried to do it a different way. Well, I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying it's different. And it's bad, no? <laughs> <laughs> but I would say the biggest difference when you look at the novel versus the film, the 2017 film at least, uh, it lies in when Poirot was trying to solve the case. In the book, he just quietly resigns from the case. Whereas in the film, he is more conflicted and presents an ultimatum to the murderers. Right. Okay. Yeah. Because that whole show at yes, the end, you know. Yeah. And then at the end, he just quietly walks away, that kind yeah. of thing. Which is, yeah. I mean, it's all over the place, kind of. But 
honestly speaking, in the book, normally he is supposed to just keep quiet and walk away, not make a big show out of it. Right, okay. But that big show, though, it's so cool. You got to see like the imagery of it. Them all sitting at the table. Yes. The Last Supper kind yeah. of thing. Oh my goodness. That was so pretty, man. Like, yeah. honestly speaking, like, this movie is so pretty on so many levels. Like, the direction, for example, or like the direction of photography, rather. They have all these long tracking shots. I think when they, when, when Poirot was boarding the train and he was talking to, like, um, Michelle Pfeiffer's character, and then they were just talking, and then you see them going from carriage to carriage with the camera being outside of the train, filming them as they walk along the alleyway, going amongst the carriages. And um, at each carriage, you see somebody going in or somebody coming out. So you get to know where each character is kind of staying. Mm, yeah. That was such a brilliant shot. Yeah. Brilliant in the sense that it was so pretty and in the sense that you set everything up perfectly. Yeah, agree. One of my favourite scenes, actually, is... Again, it's, it's based on the shot itself. It's not mm-hmm. so much of the scene itself. It's like, with the moment, I think they found out that there's a murder. Yes. And then the shot changed from normal angle to, where the, you get top to, down. to the top down. Yes. But not only the top down, they never reveal past the door yes. of uh, Ratchet's room. Yes. And then you get to see them from the top just having conversation in that narrow aisle. Mm-hmm, yeah. And then they're co- co- having conversation uh, and then Poirot yeah, was asking... Poirot breaks, breaks the, the thing. Well, yeah. And asking... Uh, what's the guy's name? Mich- Michelle. Yeah. Michelle to... Okay, go get someone. Go get book uh, and all that. Go and get the doctor. Get a go, oh, go get a doctor yeah. and all that. Yeah. Then later on after he opened, uh, I think he was... He's finally... We get to see what's inside the room mm-hmm. or something like that. And then they went out again. It went back to the top view and then no, later it never on, left the top view. Oh, it never left? It never left the top view. From the moment they were walking towards Ratchet's room, it was top view, one single tracking shot again. Yes, okay. All yeah. the way yeah. to him breaking the lock. It was still that exactly, cramped, yeah. confined yeah. field of view. Staying there when he went into the room, with when Arbutnot went into the room. Yeah. It's, it's oh, that honestly speaking, that, that one piece of tracking shot, that one was amazing. Yeah, that was amazing. It was yeah. brilliant. Uh, yeah, I wanted to say, but basically, the part what, that appears again was him actually entering his own room, but this time from the top view. Yeah. And then he, we get to see, oh, he's showing the room from the top view, but never showed the room of the murder because that is, remains the mystery. Yeah. Uh, I thought that was amazing. Yeah. yeah. Another one of these long tracking shots as well was at the end of the film where Poirot was walking from his carriage all the way out yeah, and he's walking yeah. past every single one of the murderers yeah. and you you see the way they react towards him and it's just it's one tracking shot between the whole in the whole dining room carriage. Yeah. And it was so amazing, man. That it's, was another one of those long tracking shots. I love those kinds of long tracking shots. Like it's one of my favorite types of direct like photography like direction of photography that really catches my eye in particular yeah i mean it's that was special yeah it Um, was really special it's so fucking pretty this movie yes agree it's so pretty man like and the the backdrop of like the whole carriage and the the mountains and everything it's like such a lush backdrop that juxtap like the juxtaposition of like the grandeur of the train of how fancy it is and everything with and the journey of the Orient Express with the extremely tense and claustrophobic atmosphere of it being on a train. 
Yeah. It's heightened in that scene you just mentioned with the yes. top-down view because it really gives you that constraint feeling that and the t- exactly it, it builds yeah. the tension so perfectly, man. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. Honestly speaking, these are where this movie shines. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and like it's, oh, it's just the direction and the photography and everything and the editing as well was so fucking amazing, man. Yeah, that, that that's actually my favorite moment of yeah, the f- direction and the photography is my favorite aspect of this film. Right. Really <laughs> so it's, it's it's such a pretty film, man. Yeah, but I also really like that, like I mentioned earlier at the top of the episode, that they they they, they were able to kind of poke fun at Poirot. Yeah, I guess like yeah. some of the f- like. It is full of that 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 thing. What's the thing? What's the thing? You know the chocolate, the 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 chocolate, the the fudge. It is full of that fudge. <laughs> it's like you insert humor into such a tense moment. Yes, yes, yeah. That is so. Honestly speaking, a lot of people I know didn't like it because it's supposed to be a tense moment, and it ruined the intensity of the moment. But I love it so much, man. Me, I'm a fan of comedy. Yes, right. there are wrong things in comedy. There are wrong course, times to do comedy. Yeah. But I think that was not one of those. Right. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. And the outrageousness of his accent, <laughs> it's so adorable, man. Like every single every single one of the most brilliant detectives supposed to have like these eccentricities yeah. that makes them a bigger character, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. A larger than life character. I mean, we did talk about it about about this kind of thing in Sherlock, right? Now, yeah. episode on Sherlock where we... By the way, check out our episode on Sherlock as well. Yeah, when we were really talking about detectives and how Sherlock is very eccentric and yeah. his really... His particular eccentricities yeah. are his own. Well, to be very honest, Agatha Christie got, a, I think, quite a lot of her inspiration from Sherlock, from Sir Arthur Conan Doyle as well. Right. Because he was... He is the foremost detective story writer yeah, and Agatha Christie's up there as well, of course. Yeah, but yeah, everything about the humor is so good, man. Like him reading a tale of two cities and laughing. Yeah, <laughs> by himself, ridiculous, man. Yeah. Oh, Mister Dickens, you're so yeah. <laughs> it's so ridiculous, and like the whole, like, at the beginning of the film when he was in Jerusalem, like, I do not blame you. These are two perfectly good, perfectly good earths. I blame the chicken. It's his. You you are immediately in like introduced to his accent and his peculiar 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 peculiarity of character, and how he can make fun of it as well because yeah. he was saying that to the kid. Yeah, he, he knows himself. Yeah. He is a weirdo, and yeah. then especially it explains his character very well as well. It's kind of a um too going a bit too far, but him stepping in the poop. Oh yeah, and then he's like, mm. and then the other guy's ah, like, oh. he looks at like, it's not the poop that is the, it is the imbalance, and then he put his other food in it. Yeah, there we go, and then he walks away. You know, it, <laughs> it gives you a little bit of insight into his character. Yeah, he is. It's not the poop that was frustrating him. Is the it's really just the imbalance, imbalance of and, life and yeah. everything. So yeah, yeah, it's really cool, and his mustache, his mustache, man. Yeah, it's the biggest one I've it's seen. It's glorious. <laughs> it's really glorious, man. It goes all the way. It's almost to his ear. Yeah. It's <laughs> amazing, man. It's it's smaller in Death on the Nile. Oh, it got smaller. It got smaller. I think it's because of the additional imbalance in his life. No, I don't think it's that. they Because they, they get into it in Death oh, on the Nile right, as well. Okay. But it's... Uh, it's <laughs> no, but this... It's so... He looks like a freaking walrus. 
<laughs> in the best possible way, I mean. That's awesome. And I love this look for, honestly speaking, I love this look for Sir Kenneth Brenner. I think he should keep it all the way. <laughs> he should just look like this all the time. Because, yes, he is a very pretty boy as Gilderoy Lockhart, but I think now, whenever I see Sir Kenneth Brenner, I will think of Poirot because, just because of that glorious moustache. <laughs> yeah. But I'm going to bring this up now. Do you know that the character of Poirot actually is like, I find him very interesting. So do you, obviously, right? Yep. Do you know that Agatha Christie eventually grew very tiresome, grew to find him very tiresome and dis- detestable? No, actually. Yeah. yeah. So she event like, she really disliked the character as because he's so egocentric, which he is. But I mean, Obviously, it's different for us. I'm only familiar with this character for maybe the past 15 years. Whereas towards the end, in the 70s, it would have been probably about 40 years for her. Right, okay. 40 years of Poirot in her brain. Yeah. So she probably hated him because of that as well. Yeah. She, however, continued to produce Poirot novels all the way into the 70s to right before she passed away. Right. Um, She did so because she claimed it was her duty to produce what the public likes. And the public loved Poirot. Right. Okay. I feel why the pub, why people are so people of that time rather were so attached to Poirot is because he is kind of the spiritual successor to Sherlock. I guess so. Yeah, Sherlock's before. Yes, definitely. This, yeah. yes. Sherlock was eighteen nineties yeah. to the exactly right. When yeah. is Arthur Conan Doyle? I think it was maybe to the twenties. Yeah, I think we covered this in the. In we co- episode, I think yeah. we covered this in the Sherlock episode. <laughs> just that our my at least my brain is not, is not as as sharp as you know. Yeah, our brain is our brain is not so good. Exactly, our brain. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, check out our Sherlock episode. We we definitely talk a little bit about there, about yeah. that there. <laughs> but yeah, so if you can imagine. Agatha Christie, this is one of her most renowned characters, stuck in her brain for 40 years. Of course, she grew to kind of despise Poirot, don't you think? I don't know. Okay, so one, maybe because we get we only get to know Poirot in this more humorous side from the movie. At least yeah. I do. I, have, I didn't read the book. Secondly, I, I think I can't imagine, you know, not liking my own character. Because when we were playing D&D, we created our own characters and all that. Yes, some of them are annoying, but I love how annoying they are. But of course, I never really have a character stuck in my head for 40 years. That is true, yeah. I mean... But, I, you know, it's like your own character. These are the characters that you created, you know. Uh, but yeah, maybe we can get more into that. In I think more. we'll talk a little bit yeah. more about this in more. Yeah, exactly. So this. yeah, stay tuned for to this Thursday for Party More, where we're going to be talking a bit about characters being stuck in your brain and how maybe Agatha Christie grew to kind of dislike Poirot. Yeah. So moving on with the conversation, we're go- I I love all of them. Like I mentioned, like this imagery of them sitting at the like like it was the Last Supper, the long tracking shots, the yeah. performances from the cast and everything, it's even the humor of it as well. I still mm-hmm. feel like a lot of people didn't like this movie because it is supposed to be a murder mystery. Yeah, I mean, I still... That is my gripe, actually, about the movie. I mean, you've mentioned yours. Yeah. Mine is because, uh, really... I think because I expect it to be a detective show. Went through the whole process of trying... You know, like, most detective shows, in your head, at the back of your head, you're kind of like, oh, who's the murderer? Or, 
you are you're playing a part of the detective because you're seeing seeing it from the point of right. view of the protagonist, yeah. right? Who is a detective, and when the reward of it is 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 more of that all twelve of them mm-hmm. being affected by a murder by this person, uh, wretched, uh, wretched murdered someone and affected these twelve lives. Right. The reward it to me even even at the second time watching, although I enjoyed it more. Uh, it's still more on the moral philosophy of things. Yeah. What is justice? Is then later on went on to the last bit, which is the grandeur of this whole show, which is the asking the question: Is it justified for all these twelve people to kill a murderer who actually have ruined all the, the lives of these twelve people and more and more? Yeah. yeah. And yeah, so that becomes a more of a moral philosophy kind of reward. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. For me, yes, I enjoyed it as a film that I watch now. It's pretty, yes, nice moral, but yeah. again, thinking back that, hey, actually, I came to watch this show because of a detective a mystery, mystery that I yeah. kind of want to watch. Like a whodunit. Yeah. I kind of want to see, oh, how did, did this person did it? Precisely. That kind of thing. Yeah, there's a mismatch between the reward and the, the payoff from all the part of the show. Precisely, yes. That is my thing, yeah. So I feel this is a problem that, this is the major problem with this film. It is because it is marketed as kind of a whodunit. Yeah. Whereas the storyteller, who is Kenneth Brenner in this instance, he already knows it as a book, and that's why he told the story this way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm not saying that it's a bad show. It's probably because maybe it's catered for those who have known Murders on the Orient Express yeah. before, or who, yeah, who knows what is it about, or who have the right expectations and and all that yeah but I wasn't I came there because of the marketing of hey a detective show and I kind of heard of this title before a famous mm-hmm. book or something yeah let me watch it and like hey wait a minute the reward is doesn't kind of exactly match it there. mismatches yeah there's a yeah. mismatch in, in expectation and reward yeah but honestly speaking that's why I said I told you as well specifically like go rewatch it after you know the plot yeah because this is not Yes, I, f- I felt the... I understand where all these people are coming from. But I feel that this movie is is so pretty. And the storytelling and the imagery is so good. And yeah. the direction is so amazing. And the cast is so spectacular. That it deserves a second... Uh, like a second watch. And upon the rewatch, I think you appreciate it much more. Especially I... for people like us who like to rewatch stuff anyway. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I think we are the kind of people that will appreciate on a rewatch much more. Yeah. I, I think I appreciate it more. But I I think the mismatch is still really great. Even if if I rewatch if I want to watch a detective show, this is not a watch. This the is show. not a, I'll just watch Sherlock. Yeah. Or I watch maybe Knives Out. You yeah, know, that's true. That kind of thing. Yeah. So the we're mismatch g- is still there, but yeah. We're going to get into that as well on Polony More. We're going to ask you who some of your favorite detectives yes. are. Yeah. And I prepped you with this question because <laughs> I'm not, that, I'm not a, that big of an asshole to keep springing questions like these on you and make you think on the spot. But yeah. what? When did you first watch Murder on the Urine Express? It's in the cinema. Oh, okay. When it first came yeah, out? Yeah, 2017? Came out. Yeah. Wow, okay. Because I saw the trailer. It looks so it, pretty. It is, it is really pretty. Yeah. I always like murder mystery being stage this way and yeah and it's a like classic title that 
I've heard of it, but I've never bothered reading it because yeah. it's a book. It's a really old book too. Yeah, a really old book. And I would say Agatha Christie's style of writing, it takes a bit of getting used to as well. Mm, right, so it's yeah. not something you can immediately pick up and get like, you know, just dive right into. Yeah. And so I decided to, okay, let's watch it. And I came out like, hang on, that is so pretty and so nice and all that, but Wait, what? I, I you know I just kind of <laughs> what's the what was the detective portion of it? What's the mystery? Yeah. <laughs> so wait, let me ask you this question: Are you are you averse to watching like older like movies from the nineties or eighties or seventies with slightly poorer production value? Ah, uh, no, man. Uh, no, not really. Okay, it depends. If, if that's the case, right? I recommend yeah. you watch this movie called Clue. Okay. It's, I think, from 1994. I might be wrong. But it stars Tim Curry. Okay. And it's based on the board game Clue. Right, okay. Or as we know it, Cluedo. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And it revolves around the characters in the Clue as well. Oh, that's So it's kind exciting. of the characters yeah. that you know already. And it is a real murder mystery of and a whodunit. Right. Because if you're not familiar with the game of Clue, there is a murder. Mm-hmm. It happens in a room with a weapon and is done by someone. Yeah, and that was actually what my first favorite board game. Oh, really? Okay, then I rec- yeah. re- then I really recommend you watch the movie. I think I have it. I'll, I'll take the a movie? look. Yeah, the movie. Okay, I'll cool. give it to you. But it's such a good movie. Right. And Tim okay. Curry is an amazing, brilliant actor. You know who Tim Curry is? Sounds familiar. You know me and he's he's, and- he's Frankenfurter from Rocky Horror Picture Show. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> he is Nigel Thornberry from the Wild Thornberries. Right, okay. Yeah, he's that crazy actor. He's yeah. amazing in it as well. And he, he leads the show so well. But if you, if you and anybody else who's listening are looking for a more of a murder mystery whodunit, I would definitely recommend Clue. Right. And if perhaps after you've watched it, maybe we'll talk about it as well. Yeah, sure. I just have a lot of Walking Dead stuff to cover. Oh yeah, of course. Check out yeah. Walking Dead. <laughs> yeah. You know what? Check out every single episode. <laughs> every single one of the... This is the 20th episode, by the way. Check out every single one of the previous 19 episodes. Yeah. Then you'll be caught up with the conversation and we won't, you won't be bothered by us keep asking you to check out our episodes anymore. <laughs> Sorry. I just have to bring that up. <laughs> Well, overall, I think this movie is very pretty, yeah. but it doesn't feel very rich or fulfilling because of the mismatch of the... Expectations and reward. Expectations right? versus reward, precisely. I think this would... it it's This is like a non-overly indulgent dessert that you can kind of eat not to nourish you, but it is nice enough that you shouldn't hate it. Yeah... That's yeah. my kind of haphazard slept together metaphor for this movie. It's like a meringue. Like you just kind had of. one and like, oh, it's it's nice. nice. It's pretty really nice. I don't really want more. But it's it's empty inside. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like I feel a little bit unsatisfied as yeah. well. But it's very nice. <laughs> yeah. And then you will whenever like for the next couple of months you see, oh a meringue, cool. And then one year later you're like, oh a meringue, you know what? It's been a while. Let me try this yeah. again. That kind of thing, you know? <laughs> And I mean, at two hours long for this movie, it's not the shortest, but it's also not long either. If you're, I mean, if you're, if you're in the mood for something and you have two hours to spare, like, this is probably a movie that you would watch. Yeah, but actually, to be honest, the two hours didn't bother me because... You didn't the, feel it, right? Because the performances and... Okay, the my, my gripe again is actually in the ending of the story, yeah. right? How, and 
even but throughout the performances of the actors, the set, you get to see the different camera angles that we talked about earlier. Yeah. Those are so engaging. Those are amazing to watch. And exactly, yeah. Your, your two hours, basically, I feel it's not going to be wasted. You Precisely, get to see yeah. a lot of wonderful things. It's just maybe the storyline, but just at that last part. But yeah, yeah, precisely. If you had this meringue recently, I wouldn't recommend it again. But <laughs> yeah. maybe in like a couple of months when you're when you're craving meringue, this is something that you can go to. If yes. you're craving a very pretty film, like something Wes Anderson, when Anders, Wes Anderson-y, but not really actually Wes Anderson, I would say this is a good way to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because Wes Anderson is a bit warmer, whereas Kenneth Brenner's Murder on the Urine Express is a bit cooler. In terms of the palette. I guess so. I, I, I prefer, <laughs> actually. Right, I okay. sometimes feel Wes Anderson stuff is a bit too warm for me. Right, okay. Yeah, which is just like, again, it's just me. So, preference. Yeah, it's just preference. What about you guys? What do you guys prefer? What did you, Have you watched Murder on Your Own Express? Did you like it? What do you think of the performances? Who, your fav- who was your favorite actor or actress in it? Do you have a favorite cast member? Do you have a favorite scene? Do you have a favorite scene? Yeah, I, I mentioned the, the one the, with the, the, the camera top-down top, shot. Yeah, top down shot. Yeah, yeah. I think honestly speaking, my favorite scene is him. It, it, it's full of the fudge. <laughs> yeah. It's just his. It's so outrageous that yeah. I, I really fell in love with it and its humor as well. But yeah, let us. You can hit us on the at the Podity on Instagram and Twitter. That's T H E P O D D I T Y on Instagram and Twitter, and let us know. Don't forget to tune in this Thursday to Podity More, where we're going to be talking a little bit about. On Poirot himself, how you know you might dislike a character if it's stuck in your brain for too long. And Steve and I are gonna kind of discuss some of, of our favorite detectives in all media. Yeah. Yeah, so stick around for that. Also, join us next week where we are going to be talking about Avatar. Yes, Last Airbender. The blue people. The blue people. Yeah. yeah. I love the blue people, man. Yeah. They're going to be making so much. I was just... Okay, so, I'm <laughs> no, sorry, no. no but, Last Airbender. Yeah, we're talking about Avatar The Last Airbender from Nickelodeon. Not the, the animated movie. series. Not the movie. There's no Avatar movie. Oh, yes, exactly. <laughs> yes. And we're not talking about the Blue People movie as well from Pandora with the Navi and yes, everything. Yes, no, yes. we're not talking about that. Although, they're ma- they actually are making, I think, A second four one? more Avatar movies. Really? Yeah, the blue people. Think, yeah, the James Cameron Avatar. Right, okay. Yeah, which, why? <laughs> I I have no idea. The story I, I thought it was, it was a good story. Or... No, the story wasn't that good. It's Pocahontas. Yeah, it's Pocahontas, yeah. Pocahontas but pretty, the story okay, wasn't fine, that yeah. good. The best thing about it was the CGI. Okay, and yeah. the CGI now, it's so dated. True, true, true. Okay, let's not get, because there's... Maybe, maybe we'll talk li- about it in the future. Yeah. But yeah, stick around for next week, where we're going to be talking about Avatar The Last Airbender. So just to tease the people, do you have any idea if you were a bender, what bending you would have? I think I'm a water bender. You think you were a water bender? Yeah. All right, cool. You? Yourself? Find out next week. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you guys so much for listening. I've been Nate. I'm Steven. We'll catch you on Thursday. Bye-bye. Bye.